Romans chapter 6. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> Father, we thank you this night that we can be together in this place and also online. And we do pray that, Lord, as we <coughs> open up your word this evening, that we would uh, be focused upon you, that we'd learn from you, we'd learn that which you have in your word for us, Father. Thank you that your word indeed is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path or way. And we thank you, Father God, that your word uh, reveals to us your will. And we do pray tonight that you'd guide us as we look into your word, that you give us understanding, that, Lord, you give me wisdom from on high, that I might have clarity of thought, and, uh, Lord, that, your, that my speech would be your speech, and that, Lord, tonight we would receive from you what you would have for us, that we might leave this place this day saying, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bless our time now, we pray around your word. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've said at the beginning with Romans chapter 6, we come to the section in Romans to do with the biblical doctrine of sanctification. And we really read about that in chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. But beginning here in chapter 6, we have this wonderful doctrine of sanctification. The first five chapters are to do with our justification. And now we come to the doctrine of sanctification. We noted last week the sanctification, or the word sanctification, is not mentioned in Romans chapter 6. But the Greek word from which the, uh, word, the English word sanctification comes is mentioned and it's translated twice in Romans chapter 6 as holiness. Now in Romans chapter 6 we have explained to us that even though you and I cannot be perfect this side of glory, that there's no way that you and I can be completely holy this side of glory. Romans chapter 6 explains to us that as believers, it is possible for you and I to have victory over sin. We do not need to sin. And Paul makes it abundantly clear here in Romans chapter 6 that you and I can have victory in our lives. We can live victorious Christian lives. And last time as we started here in Romans chapter 6, we said that in order to have victory, we need to know certain things. We need to know that grace is not freedom to sin. And secondly, we need to know that we are dead to sin. And as we continue today, I want us to consider firstly the central fact. The central fact. Verse 2, God forbid, or verse 1 to give the context, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in grace that, uh, continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The whole issue of sanctification comes down to just four words. And those four words are that we are dead to sin. And we said last time the word dead is in the past, so we, are, we have died to sin. It's a completed action, something's happened to us. And we saw last week that being dead to sin is not so much that we are dead in the sense that we cease to feel temptation. Rather, we are dead to sin, or we have died to sin, in the sense of separation. As one commentator put it, to say that the believer has died to sin means then that he is separated from sin's control. And so the question that needs to be asked as we commence our journey here on this section on sanctification 
the question is to be asked is when did this death occur? When did this separation happen? Because he says here that we are dead to sin, and that's in the past. We have died to sin. So when did this death take place? When did this separation happen? Well, to be exact, it happened at Calvary. It happened when Christ uttered those words, it is finished. When the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary died and he offered up himself as a sacrifice on our behalf and he cried, it is finished, that's when this death took place, when he gave up his life, when he gave up the ghost. For at that moment, the victory was won. At that moment, when Christ died at the cross of Calvary, the victory was claimed, it is finished, it is done. The job is complete. Sin has been, uh, the victory has been won over sin, death and the grave. The victory has been won. But for you and I as individuals, for the individual believer, for those of us who are saved, it happens when we believe and we're justified. The moment you and I are justified is the moment that you and I have died to sin. You see, it's salvation or union takes place between Christ and the believer. His death is counted as our death. His resurrection is counted as our resurrection. In fact, you and I, because of Calvary, because you and I are now in Christ, this union with Christ has taken place, you and I have available to, you, to us resurrection power. Look in Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians chapter 3. And uh, let's uh, read from verse 8, or verse 7. For what things were gained to me, those things I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and who count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, and the righteousness which is of God by faith. And verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Then he says in verse 12, Not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend for that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. But I, brethren, I can't know myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. You and I have available to us, because of Calvary and our relationship to Christ, because you and I are now in him, you and I have the accessibility to resurrection power that power that gives us victory over sin. 2 Timothy 2.11 puts it this way, For if we be dead with, with him, we shall also live with him. When Christ died on the cross of Calvary, we were there in the person of Christ. He died in our place. He died on our behalf. When Christ died in our place on Calvary, he represented us as our second Adam. We were in Adam. 
When you and I were born, we were in Adam. And because we were in Adam, we were condemned. But the moment you and I turned and trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we were placed in Christ. And now we have available all the power of the resurrection. He's our second Adam. Therefore, when he died, we died. When he rose again, we rose. By our union with Christ, through faith in him, we are recipients of all that he accomplished at the cross. The believer's union with Christ, one commentator called it the central truth of theology. The central truth of theology. On this matter of the union with Christ, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, this is one of the most glorious aspects of the Christian truth. One of the most profound. One of the most stimulating. One of the most comforting. Indeed, I'd rather like to use the word exhilarating. There is nothing, perhaps, in the whole range and realm of doctrine which, if properly grasped and understood, gives greater hope to this doctrine of our union with Christ. You see, there is no doubt, or there ought to be no doubt, that our union with Christ is one of the most precious doctrines of the Word of God, that you and I are now in Christ. He is our second Adam, and by faith in Him we are placed in Him, and all that the cross accomplishes available to us is a precious doctrine. Martin Lord Jones goes on to say this, if we are not clear about this doctrine, we are missing, in a sense, one of the, one of the pivotal aspects of the whole doctrine of salvation. We must therefore pay careful attention to it. From Dadley, it was in order that we might be clear about it that the Apostle elaborates on it this way. This doctrine of union with Christ is vital to you and I understanding the doctrine of sanctification. Our relationship to Christ is vital. We understand that because that explains to us what it means that we're dead to sin. And the whole premise of what he's about to say in chapter 6, 7, and 8 is based upon this central truth that we are dead to sin. And it's this relationship to Christ that makes that possible. You know, sometimes when you read or you hear people talking about the matter of sanctification, they uh, uh, talk about the Christian walk and the walk of victory in terms of dying to self or crucifying the old nature. And those who say those expressions may be earnest. They may be sincerely trying to put away their sin from their lives and have victory. But what the Lord tells us in Romans chapter 6, what the Lord wants you and I to understand in Romans chapter 6, is that it's not really a matter of struggling. It's not a matter of slaying. That's already been done. Christ has already died. He already uh, was slain for you and I. Christ paid the price. Jesus paid it all. He won the victory for us at Calvary. Once we're saved, we need to understand that sanctification is not a matter of struggling. It's not a, it is a matter of surrendering. Surrendering to Christ. Sanctification and victory come by knowing Him, by yielding unto Him, by reckoning ourselves to be dead indeed under sin, 
as we'll see as we proceed through Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 in particular. The central fact here is that you and I must know, you and I must understand that we are dead to sin. And therefore, we don't have to sin. Sin's power over us was broken at Calvary and became real to us the moment we got saved. The unsaved person can do nothing but sin. They have a sin nature. But you and I, when we get saved, we receive a new nature. We receive the indwelling Holy Spirit, and by the power of the Spirit dwelling in us, you and I do not have to sin. Now, we will sin, because that's the reality of human nature. And as we'll see, that's the struggle that goes on between the flesh and the Spirit, and this old flesh still craves to sin. But the reality is, that now that we're saved, the victory has already been won. You and I have died to sin, and you and I can have the victory. Now God often uses in his word visual aids in order to help you and I understand teaching. And so in Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 through 5, we have one of the most effective visual aids to understand what he just said in verse 2. Because verse 2 is a, is a verse that stands out there and you wonder, well, what's he talking about? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And there are those who'd love to teach us sinless perfection and will tell us that if we sin, we're not saved and take you to 1 John and get you all worried about the fact that where 1 John tells us, you know, if any man is saved and he sins, he can't be saved and gets us all stressed out about the whole thing and yet the Bible wants to help us to understand that victory is a potential possibility for all of us because it was won at Calvary. And he wants to illustrate it to us by this interesting illustration, this visual aid that he gives to us. So note, secondly, we like the commanding illustration, the commanding illustration in verse 3. Know you not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism in death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So here now, baptism is given to us to help us explain this matter of dead to sin. And we know that's what he's talking about because Paul starts out in verse 3 by saying, Know ye not. Know ye not. And the phrase, know ye not, is, Are you ignorant or don't you understand the symbolism of and the meaning of baptism? Are you so ignorant that you don't understand what baptism was all about? Don't you understand the meaning and symbolism of baptism? Now, while this passage underscores the importance of baptism, and we often read this passage of scripture at baptismal services, when we go down the river, we baptize somebody, we'll read this passage and we'll explain this passage and we'll use this passage to talk about baptism. And so while this passage underscores the importance of baptism and shows that baptism is not optional, in fact it's, God's desire for everyone is saved, it's God's will for everyone saved to be baptized. And if you and I are not baptized, then what we're doing is omitting a testimony of God that he taught in his word 
to demonstrate what took place in our lives at salvation. So baptism is something that God wants for all believers. He expects all of us to be baptized as a demonstration of our faith in him. And while this passage brings out a second point, and that is the mode of baptism, and explains the mode of baptism is important, and it can be clearly illustrated that immersion is God's way of baptism. The way to baptize is by immersion. Because the Lord designed baptism to be a good picture of what it intends to represent. And therefore the only mode of baptism that demonstrates the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is immersion. When we stand in the water, it's a picture of the death. When we place somebody under the water, it's a picture of the burial. When they come over, the water is the picture of the resurrection. And sprinkling somebody's forehead with a cross doesn't picture that. Pouring water on somebody's head doesn't picture that. Immersion is the only way that it demonstrates this matter of baptism that we're placed into and pulled out of the water, that we're buried, we've died with Christ, buried with Christ, and we're risen with Christ to walk in the newness of life. But what's more, the Greek word baptizo means to immerse. It means to get fully wet. It means to fully cover. And uh, I don't know that you can get uh, fully covered or immersed by a cross on the forehead or by some sprinkling. The only means by which we can be fully immersed is by immersion. That's why it's called immersion. We're fully immersed. So while that's all true, while this passage speaks about baptism, while this passage demonstrates the only mode of baptism, while this passage challenges every believer to be baptized, it must be remembered that the key to the whole principle here in Romans chapter 6 is not baptism, but the fact of death. The central truth is death, that we have died to sin, not baptism. The central key to our sanctification is understanding that you and I have died to sin. And so here in Romans chapter 6, the apostle is using baptism to clearly illustrate that God has provided a means of victory for you and for me. That's why he says, no ye not. Don't you understand, he says, that Christ's death and resurrection has secured the victory for you and me? Don't you know this? Don't you know that the victory has already been won? Don't you know that the victory has already been secured? Don't you know that Christ paid the price? Don't you understand that as so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death? Now the phrase so many of us is an interesting phraseology. Because it simply means all believers. It's a funny way of going about saying all believers. So many of us, all believers, every individual believer is in view here. We don't have some exclusive doctrine here that's segregated for a certain group of believers and some select saints who can have the victory and uh, can be sanctified and the rest of us are left out of the equation. When he says so many of us, he's talking about all believers. He's saying, don't you know that those of us who are saved have all been baptized into Jesus Christ? 
and we've been baptized into his death. See, victory and sanctification is a reality for every believer. Everyone here tonight and everyone watching online who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, victory, sanctification is for every believer. God wants you and I to be holy as he is holy. He wants you and I to be sanctified, separated unto God. He wants you and I to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. He wants you and I to live victoriously day by day. He wants you and I to win the battle over the flesh and the spirit by walking in the spirit that we will not the lust of the flesh. God wants every one of us as believers to walk in victory. To win that battle of Romans chapter, Ephesians chapter 6 where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in high places, that we put on the whole armor of God, that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's what God wants for each and every one of us. So note what he says secondly here in this matter of this illustration. He says we're baptized into Jesus Christ. Know you not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ. Paul says, don't you understand? That everyone who is saved is baptized into Christ. Galatians chapter 3, please. Galatians chapter 3. And verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized in Jesus Christ, have put on Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ, he tells us. Now remember that the idea behind the ancient Greek word, baptizo, is to immerse, to overwhelm something. So when we read here, know ye not that so many of you were baptized in Jesus Christ, you've got to understand the word baptized there is to immerse, to overwhelm. Don't you know that so many of you as have been overwhelmed, been immersed into Jesus Christ? If you're saved, you've been immersed into Jesus Christ. Now the Bible uses this idea of being baptized into something in several ways. You know, when a person is baptized in water, they are immersed, they're covered with water. But this word baptized, this word in baptizo is also used when a person is said to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, please. Matthew 3, 11. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says this, uh, um, he says, I, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's going to overwhelm you. He's going to cover you with the Holy Ghost and power. When they're baptized with suffering, look in Mark chapter 10 and verse 39. Mark 10, 39. That's where baptizo is used again. Mark 10, 39. 
And they say unto him, We can. This is, uh, this is uh, the sons of Zebedee have come to the Lord, and the Lord's asked them a question in verse uh, 38. He said, But Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask, because they want to be granted to sit one on the right hand and one on the left hand of him when he comes to his kingdom. He says, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? And be baptized of the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all, shall ye be baptized. It's talking about suffering. They're going to be immersed or covered by suffering. And we know that James and John did suffer. James died as the first Christian martyr, and John ended up on the Isle of Patmos in exile, suffering for the cause of Christ. So they did enter into, they were immersed in, they were covered by the suffering for Christ. You see the reference here then in Ephesians chapter six, sorry, Ephesians, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 to baptism, the reference here then to be, we, that we're baptized into Jesus Christ refers to us being baptized or immersed or covered over in Christ Jesus. We read earlier Galatians 3.27 and there it describes as putting on an outward garment or a uniform. For as many as you have been baptized have put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've put on new clothes. You see, when you and I were in Adam, we had a set of clothes. We had these filthy rags that Isaiah 64 talks about. That all of the, that, that we're wearing filthy rags. Even our righteousness is those filthy rags to Almighty God. You and I are wearing those sinful rags, that sinful clothes. Uh, we're comfortable in the, that rags and then when we get saved, we, uh, those rags are taken off and we receive a new garment. We're clothed in Jesus Christ. We put on His righteousness. We put on that clothing of His. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new garment. When you and I were saved, we were covered by the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans thirteen fourteen puts it this way, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh won't want to go back to that old way of life, won't want those old stinky clothes again, because it has these beautiful, refreshing, brand new clothes. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the important thing for you and I to understand here in Romans chapter 6 is that our identity with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in Him is in view. You see, you and I at salvation aren't simply associated with Jesus Christ. We are identified with Him. Let me illustrate it. He is called the Son of God. But now because you and I are saved, we are called the sons of God. He stands righteous before God the Father. And because of our relationship to Him, we stand in His righteousness before God the Father. He has free access to the throne. And you and I now can enter boldly into the presence of God by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has victory over spiritual powers of darkness. And according to Ephesians chapter 6, you and I can have that same victory over the spiritual powers of darkness. See, salvation, you and I are placed into Christ. First Corinthians chapter 12, please. 
First Corinthians chapter 12. And verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. We're all immersed. We're all covered by one body, into one body. Whether it be Jews or Gentiles, we're bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. You and I are placed into the body of Christ at salvation. And because of this union that we have with Christ, because you and I have been baptized into one body, and of course that's the, talking about the, the church, the body of Christ, uh, there in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 12, you and I have been placed into that body, we're placed into that relationship with him, and because we have that union with Christ, we're told in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20 that we are complete in him. Let's go there, Colossians 2.20. says this in Colossians 2.20, it says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, which we are, from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? That's the wrong verse. <laughs> it's a good verse, but it's not the one I'm thinking about. Uh, we're told we're complete in him. Hmm. All right. I hate it when I do that, when I know the verse and then write down the wrong one. Anyway, in Colossians, there is a verse that says we are complete in him. And if somebody finds it, they can let me have it. But uh, there is a verse in Colossians that tells us we are complete in him. At salvation, we are complete in Christ. Everything that Christ has, my wife's found it. Colossians 2.10? Yes, that's the one. Thank you. Um... It says in Colossians 2.10, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. We're complete in him. You know, everything we need, everything that's, 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 that we need for living this Christian life, everything that we need to live a victorious Christian life, we have because we're in him. None of us are deficient in the spiritual equipment needed for victory. Now, we may all fail from time to time, we do. We all sin from time to time, we do. And sometimes, you know, we feel like we're wretched before Almighty God because we are. But that's not because of God failed somewhere, that God forgot to give us all that we needed for the battle, that God forgot to give us all that we needed for the victory. It's because you and I, in the flesh, longed after those old, dirty, smelly clothes and we wanted to put them back on again for a while because they felt comfortable to us. And so we go back and we put them on, but you know what happens after you've had those old smelly clothes on for a while, you start not to like them because they are old and they are smelly, and you think to yourself, why am I wearing these when there's that beautiful new set of clothes over there? And so we confess our sins, and he is faithful just to forgive us our sins and cleanse them all in righteousness, and you and I once again feel we're clothed in his righteousness till the next time the flesh gets the better of us. But the problem is not the law. The problem is not the equipment God's given to us. The problem is not the power he's given to us. Resurrection power is available to all of us. We can have the victory. We are dead to sin. The problem is the flesh. But you and I can have the victory. Because we're complete in him. 
when, where once we were in Adam, and everything that was true of Adam became true of us. Now we're in Christ. You know Romans 5.12, remember this? Wherefore, as by one man sin in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. That was our problem. When we were in Adam, we had all sinned, and therefore death had passed upon all men. And in the same way, all that is in Christ, all the accomplishment of Calvary for you and I, is true of us because we're now in Christ. No, you're not. That so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we've all been baptized into him. Therefore, everything he accomplished at Calvary is available to you and I. Resurrection power is at our disposable as a disposal every moment of every day that we might have the victory. But then he goes on to say this. He says, not only are we baptized into Jesus Christ, as many as, uh, so, uh, no you're not, there's so many of us who were baptized in Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. We come back to the central theme, the central truth. We're baptized into his death. Or as Romans 6.2 puts it, we have died to sin. This illustration of baptism is given to you and I that we might understand that when you and I were taken from the realm of unrighteousness and we were placed into the realm of righteousness, when we were taken from the, the reigning of Adam and put under the, reign, the, the kingship of Christ and you and I became in Christ, at that moment when you and I were baptized into Jesus Christ, we also were baptized of his death. We also died with him. Sin has lost its control over us. In Christ, you and I are separated from the power of sin. So the sin can no longer, or sin should no longer, have control over us. Sin salvation, you and I are separated from the penalty of sin. That's our justification. When you and I got saved, we were delivered from the penalty of sin. We were no more under the condemnation of death. And one day you and I are going to be delivered from the presence of sin. That's our glorification. When we get to glory, we'll gain our new bodies. We'll have a glorious new body and we will no longer have the flesh. And the flesh will no longer cause you and I to desire to sin. What a day that will be when the flesh is vanquished forever. But in the meantime, right now, because of our union with Jesus Christ, we are separated from the power of sin. The penalty, the power, and the presence. And right now, we're delivered from the power of sin. I read this illustration that kind of explains what he's trying to say here. A boy was playing with his dog, which was tied to a post by a long rope. The boy pretended to unfasten the rope at the dog's collar and then he started running away from the dog, calling the dog to follow him. Eagerly, the dog got up and started to chase after the boy until the rope pulled taut and jerked his neck roughly and he stopped. The boy repeated the trick a second time with the same result. After a few moments, he did it again. But by then, the dog had learned. And when the boy tried to run away and call the dog, the dog wouldn't go. He refused. 
He wasn't stupid. He wasn't going to get caught by that rope a third time. The boy then went and really did untie the rope. And he ran off, urging the dog to follow him. (laughs) But the dog by now is too suspicious of his master that he wouldn't run after him, even though he was loosed. Now, we don't blame the dog. And we probably think the boy's sense of humor was a little bit poor. But the point is that the dog didn't realize he really was free. And that's true of some believers. They're not aware of the fact that in Christ, we have died to sin. We are freed from the power of sin. As believers, we have a new relationship to sin. We have died to sin. Look at a verse I know you know well. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. We read verse 20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but the life that I now live, I live by the power of the Son of God. That's the point of Romans chapter 6. You and I have been baptized into Jesus Christ, and when we were placed into Jesus Christ, we were baptized into his death, Everything that he won at Calvary, all the victory that he won at Calvary over sin, we have now at our disposal. Resurrection power is available to you and I. And if if we're in Christ because of salvation, then you and I have at our fingertips power over sin. So now we should no longer want to continue in sin. Now, once again, let me say it, we will sin. Because this side of glory, we cannot be sin-free. We still have the flesh. And Paul's going to go into that extensively in Romans chapter 7. He's going to talk about the fact that the things he would, he did not. The things he would not, those things he did. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? He's a saved man struggling like you and I. And Romans chapter 7 is a glorious with regard to the struggle. But the reality of chapter 6 is that you and I have been placed in Christ and in Christ we have died to sin. We have potentially the victory over sin. Just as when you and I were in Adam, we all sinned. So now because we're in Christ, when Christ died, we died to sin with him. It's clear then, they ought not to live in sin since we have a new relationship to sin because of our identification with Christ. We are dead to sin. And if we are saved, our desire should be not to sin. Our desire ought to be to have the victory. Now we'll continue to look at this in the weeks to come. We'll look at verses 4 and 5 next week to finish off this matter of baptism. But you know tonight, let's praise God because of our union with Christ we can have victory over sin. Let's pray. (coughs) Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word. 
We thank you for Romans chapter 6. We thank you, Father God, that we're dead to sin. That as believers, the victory has already been won. That Calvary took care of the sin problem. And that because of Christ, we can have access to resurrection power. That we can have victory in our lives. We can live victorious over sin. We thank you, Father God, that now we are delivered from the power of sin by the presence of Jesus Christ and by the sacrifice of Christ and Calvary. Lord, help us to appropriate to our lives the wonderful truth that we are dead to sin. Bless us now this night as we dismiss, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.